Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror and media. And tonight, get ready to gaslight, gatekeep, and girl boss as we dive into Gone Girl, which is an insane movie, <laughs> but we're going to get into all the details. But first, to get it out of the way, these next few episodes are going to be a little bit different. So we're going to only have Justine and I and possibly a guest. Mm-hmm. reason why is because Murr and Mitch are taking a break. They need to take care of some other projects. They've got a lot of bands going on, a lot of shows they're doing, other art pieces they're working on. So they're just going to take a little break from the podcast. Yeah, and with that, I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Hi! (laughs) So it'll just be us two for this discussion, and we'll run it the same that we usually do. Go through some of the production notes, be able to talk about it, where we have a little more room. Yeah. Now to talk about things, so we may go a little bit more in depth than we usually do. It hasn't been just the two of us for a long time. I think the last one was um, The Girl with All the Gifts. Yeah, that was at least a year and a half ago yeah. when we were in our old apartment. Did we talk about District 9? We did just talk us? about... No, it wasn't or was just that with us. the group? It was with the group. We okay. just did Gone... Um, girl of all the gifts (laughs) a lot of g's in this episode yeah this (laughs) one so i chose gone girl because it was a phenomenon when it first came out like this is in 2012 the only thing that came close to rivaling it was uh 50 shades of gray which everybody knows about that and that's a completely separate genre is that the book or the film and did they come out around the same times both Um, the book and the film i believe the books came out very close to each other like within years of each other and then the 50 shades of gray film came out much later Mm. so but did it come out the same year as gone girl no okay so they weren't competing against each other no not necessarily the books were for sure though Uh because they were only a year apart um I'll get right into some of the production stuff just so we can go over it. There is quite a lot for Gone Girl. This is one of those movies where they have a lot of production interviews. So they end up telling a lot about what the film was like and how they created it. So this was actually written and adapted by the writer of the book, Gillian Flynn, which is really rare to find Mm -hmm. in any sort of film. Yeah, you don't see that too often. Not at all, especially to be kept on. So she she wrote the first draft of the script and usually they hand it off to somebody and then somebody takes over and they get another writer because she's not a screenwriter. She's just a um, a regular author for books. So this was her debut in screenwriting. Yeah, it was. That's a nice debut to have. Right. Wow. She was lucky though because she got to work with uh, David Fincher. And mm. so they, they both worked on the script, although technically she got all of the writing credit just mm-hmm. because... I don't think he wanted to take the writing and the directing mm-hmm. credit just because she had written so much of it. He was more of a quote unquote mentor yeah, in the process. He, he definitely mentored her through it and then um, was able to get the final piece for it. And so the the film was a direct adaptation from her book and she adapted it herself, which is probably a really cool chance and opportunity to do that as an author to just have your own work. But that must be really hard to condense down a huge book into a film that's probably going to be way less time i mean just look at all the harry potter books yeah um i don't think she was super involved though was she with the adaptations Mm, i think she kind of just consulted i think yeah jk rowling was more of a consultant on those movies yeah well this this film is considered a thriller though and that's why we're talking about it yeah so not necessarily horror but it does have elements of a thriller and it does include murder (laughs) it's a very subtle thriller too like it doesn't really get started till about 40 minutes into the movie i remember when i started watching it i was like why did he recommend this yeah. movie in the first place? This is so slow. This is so boring. <laughs> I remember you messaging me. You're like, yeah, stuff's not happening yet. And then all of a sudden, shit just took off and it kept taking off. It's a great way to unveil what exactly she's doing. And mm-hmm. you don't really know, like for the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie, you're like this man killed his wife. 
Yeah. <laughs> I I honestly believed it. I believed it too. I, I think this is one of those films you have to have watched in theaters. And if not, you should watch it probably alone so that you're not like speculating too much. And then you really get a thrill once you get to the end. But the book itself was huge. It sold 2.5 million copies in 2012, which is insane for a book in twenty in 2012. Yeah, I seem to remember when that book came out. It was around the time I was starting high school. Yeah. That's any given of my <laughs> age. <laughs> right. And everyone was talking about Gone Girl and Hunger Games. Those were like the two Ooh, books everyone was yeah. talking about. Yeah, the, I think the Hunger Games was getting finished, like the book series. Yeah. And so people were very much about it. And I think the movie had just come out or was about to come out. Yeah, it was the first one, right? Yeah, the first yeah. one. It was, it was pretty good. but like It I, was pretty yeah. good, but the rest of the movies, eh. They really downplayed the fact that kids were killing each other. Yeah. In, in, this, in these books. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So... I mentioned David Fincher earlier. If you don't know who David Fincher is, he is most notorious for directing Alien 3, Zodiac, Fight Club, Panic Room, The Social Network, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So he's done a lot. <laughs> he's done a lot, and he's done a very particular type of movie. And you'll know his stuff when you see it because he's very detail-oriented in what he shows you, and he doesn't show you anything on screen without it being relevant later on in the story. Mm -hmm. So if you watch really closely in Gone Girl, you'll notice things that show up later. I like films like that because, as you know, I love predicting the end of movies. You're really good at predicting the end of yeah, movies. This We've gotten one, really good at it. <laughs> this one, though, is a little bit too unpredictable even for me yeah I, that's what i really enjoyed about it yeah and what i also enjoyed about um brand new cherry flavor mm -hmm. they're both highly unpredictable and that usually makes for a good story at least for us because we know like the formulas of stuff because we watch so yeah, much content we really do this particular film gone girl premiered at the opening of uh, i'm sorry they had their opening in the 52nd new york film festival on september 26 2014 and then it was released in october of that same year by 20th century fox Reason why is they wanted to premiere it there and then it got bought up. So the distributors pretty much had like a battle for who was going to be able to distribute it and paid a lot of money. So to be is able to this get it. technically an indie film to start? It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy to say, considering Dave Fincher was attached to it. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Um, it usually happens that way where most people will not be excited about funding something until they've seen the complete product. Right. In which cases you'll get picked up by a big distributor and then sent out to all the theaters. Um, like I mentioned before, first draft was written by, uh, by Flynn and Fincher was the one who brought her on. He was actually insistent on keeping her on to write the rest of the script. And so she appreciated him for doing that. Um, this is also kind of one of the few instances where this has happened. I honestly can't think of another where the author was heavily involved with writing their stuff mm -hmm. outside of say Game of Thrones, where George yeah. R. R. Martin wrote an episode on each uh, season. Right. And mm -hmm. so that was something that was particularly uncommon, but she did a really good job condensing her story down to i'd say like two and a half hours i think the movies it's kind of a little bit over yeah it was a little longer than your average movie but yeah i think around two and a half yeah he also had high praise for her when uh asked about working with gillian flynn he uh described her writing as very smart crafty and extremely articulate which is some high praise from a director. Do you know if she's done any other screenplays since this movie? I don't actually. I, I didn't see that she had done any other work besides these. I think she had uh, went back to writing books. <laughs> but it'd be something we should definitely check on. Um, I'm researching it as we speak. My favorite bit about the production was that according to one of the producers, um, Cian Chafin, Fincher averaged about 50 takes for each scene. 
talk about being really particular and specific, but it makes sense for his style of filmmaking. We've seen him make things like Fight Club where everything was done down to the detail. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that he really harped on because he wanted it to be believable. And we'll talk about how believable it is at some point. Right. Um, A fun fact, though, was that production was shut down for four days because of Ben Affleck. He's a Boston Red Sox fan, and he refused to wear a New York Yankees cap for the scene. <laughs> Eventually, Fincher and Affleck reached a compromise, and he wore a New York Mets hat for the scene. Oh but my he God. seriously shut down all of production for four days because of that. It's kind of funny to me how attached some people are to their sports teams. Sports like, balls. they really would interrupt filming for four days <laughs> over a baseball hat for a rival team i feel like ben affleck would do some shit like this yeah he would he's fucking he just weird. feels like the type <laughs> so i was looking into jillian yeah. flynn if she had done any other screenplays she's done uh let's see widows which is based on her series sharp objects oh wow how did i forget about sharp objects yeah mm-hmm. holy shit and then she is currently filming Utopia, a series that she created for Amazon. Nice. So she's she's doing she's some doing stuff. She's doing good. <laughs> yeah, she's doing some stuff. This movie stars Ben Affleck, of course, who we just mentioned, Rosamund Pike, who has actually gone into a lot more horror films. Um, she's in a new film called um, um, I Like You a Lot, <laughs> which is on Netflix, which is another one where she's pretty much crazy in that film. <laughs> So she has a, a type of character she likes to play. She seems to really like the characters that are exploring their morality in the world and how they're going to take advantage of that, mm-hmm. particularly with her as a woman. And so this is something that shows up in both of these films and we'll definitely talk about. Mm-hmm. It's got Neil Patrick Harris mm-hmm. playing a straight man again, which is always hilarious, knowing yeah. that he's just super gay, <laughs> has a family, it, married husband, kids. It almost makes me uncomfortable to see him in straight yeah. roles. Well, I don't know if we confirmed it or not, but was he out by this point when this movie came out? Uh, because I sure. know that it was kind of a big thing and people were like, oh, wow, like we didn't know that because he had spent who knows how long on How I Met Your Mother playing like the asshole straight friend. Oh, uh, right. And so you had um, him showing up and stuff like this. But it also has Tyler Perry, who was just random as fuck as a lawyer in this. Let's see. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris publicly came out in 2006. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, long knew. before this movie. Yeah, so awkward that they keep doing that. But, I mean, they did similar things to, like, Ellen Generous and, and uh, a few other uh, famous people who would come out by that point. And then yeah. they were like, we don't care. And they just put them in straight roles. Yeah. At some point, they got a sense of morality and stopped doing that to actors. Yeah, they started getting some other people. Also, Neil Patrick Harris, I would say, is probably not quite so popular anymore yeah he was he had his moment yeah he, well he had like his moment in the late 90s like into the 2000s and then i think he stopped being uh, cast in things and then went into like a lot of hosting <laughs> yeah that's what i kind <laughs> of knew him a lot from as a host um it also has a uh, carrie coon who's going to show up as the sister mm-hmm. and so the budget we mentioned even though it's technically an indie film and i i don't want that to be deceiving for people because indie film just means that it's outside of the main right. mainstream production companies yeah so that means it was privately funded either by fincher himself or by other producers that he brought on mm-hmm. so he had 61 million to make the movie so no small budget <laughs> but it made 369 million in return and so they were ecstatic about the money and of course they allowed fincher and gillian to go on and make new stuff as far as the characters ben affleck plays nick Rosamund Pike plays his wife, Emily Elliott Dune. 
Neil Patrick Harris is Desi Collings, her wealthy ex-boyfriend. Tyler Perry is Tanner Bolt, Nick's attorney. Tyler Perry. Which is great. He's, <laughs> I don't know. He like he's. I feel like he's kind of deceived everybody by making these comedy films that he knew would rake in money. Yeah. And then started doing his own thing. He like I built know. his own studio. Well, seeing him in this role, too, as a very serious stoic, there's still a sense of yeah. humor with his character. Right. But it's outside of the normal characters you'd see Tyler Perry portraying. Yeah. I, I don't know how much before his like Medea movies this was, mm-hmm. but I feel like he was ramping up to kind of go off on his own. And then now he's just like he's a producer like a large big time producer he's got his own studio and now he's starting to make more serious stuff so he's kind of going the way of jordan peele where Mm -hmm. they did comedy first and then they got all their money and now they're gonna make whatever they want yeah i'm noticing this trend of comedians going into either horror or thriller genres yeah which is kind of cool although i have never noticed this before and i think it's something interesting to look in for um there's also carrie coon as Margot, um nick's twin sister and the only other important person is Kim Dickens as Detective Rhonda Boney, which is <laughs> a great fucking name for a detective. And she's also a really good one in this movie. And I like the way her character plays out. So to start, what are your thoughts? Or did you have something else? I just want to give a shout out to Emily Ratajkowski, a.k.a. Emma Rata. Oh, yeah. we all know famous model shows up as the the mistress yeah she does i love it i just love that she was in this i think this is around the time she started becoming more popular oh okay and they were like you want to be like a a side person yeah side character i think primarily her uh career was in modeling and then she did a little acting here and there okay she was in the blurred lines music video which is where she kind of got really famous from I didn't know that. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, that song is awful, but she's great. Oh, geez. Yeah. I like how we all collectively realized it like five years later. <laughs> I I am ashamed. I thought it was a catchy song. Uh, yeah. Until you realize it's like. Ooh. Yeah. And then I grew up a little bit and I was like, wait, consent. Yeah. Where's the consent? Um. It was, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is also close to like the era of when people were like, yo, the like producers and big time names in the film industry are taking advantage of their power yeah this was the right around the time the me too movement yeah. uh kind of started to catch fire and uh i feel like that's something that we can definitely bring up in regards to this yeah movie. it's kind of directly related to recent stuff that's happened um i'm interested to know what are your initial thoughts off the movie and have you read the book i did not read the book I was never much of a book person. (laughs) The only book series I really got into into was like Harry Potter. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and Lord of the Rings. I was reading the Twilight series, like (laughs) literally. Oh, yeah. I had a Twilight phase too. So like this was this was just before it got the movie and it became really like famous. Mm -hmm. And so like I'd gone into Borders when they were still around. Oh, my God. (laughs) Borders. And picked it up and I was like, okay, this seems pretty legit. Didn't realize how fucking horny it was. Yeah. (laughs) It's obscenely horny, but. (laughs) For a teen novel. Uh, All teen novels are horny. But yeah, it was either those or I was reading anime. Okay. Yeah. Or sorry, manga. Yeah. I mean, I knew what you meant. But yeah. I was never much of a novel person. I didn't have the attention span for them most of the time, especially something like this. Is it such a slow burn to start? It is. So um, I read the book right when it came out. Mm -hmm. So like kind of almost immediately when it came out. Um, So I haven't 
read it in quite a while. But I remember um, that it does go into a lot of detail with other family members. Yeah. And that was my like first complaint with the movie was how slow it was in the beginning. Like if you hadn't told me ahead of time that the movie was crazy, I would have probably stopped watching it at some point. (laughs) I I had the pre-knowledge of knowing how the book played out. Mm-hmm. Um, before I got to see the movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember watching it and it's one of those standout movies for me just because um, how extreme it gets at certain points and then it really messes with your mind about who you think is a good person and who is morally like a wrong person. Yeah, because that was the thing in this movie is both of the main characters were bad in some way. Yeah. But at some point, one started to become a little bit more psychopathic than the other. <laughs> So then did anything stand out to you? Say like acting, cinematography, the script. Um, one thing that stood out to me was the coolness on um, Amy's character. Oh, yeah. She's got a very reserved kind of attitude towards a lot of things. And she yeah. can like flip a switch. And everything she does is very articulate and seems very intentional. She never does anything by accident. Yeah. Um, the little jokes she makes here and there or lack thereof are all intentional and purposeful to make someone feel something she's as we found out as the movie progressed she's a master at manipulating people into believing or projecting a certain image of herself she goes to really elaborate means to set him up to make it look like he's murdered her and then to also leave all these clues behind and then to you find out later in the film that she's set up another guy before and basically he got uh, charged with sexual assault Mm -hmm. which is awful i mean it's good that he's not in prison but he might as well be in prison as a sexual predator at least on the list right because everyone in the neighborhood knows as soon as you move in who you are yeah you You can't go within a certain distance of schools good luck dating anybody because at some point you're gonna have to tell them that you're on the sex offender list your um, life is pretty much ruined at that point or any hopes of a social life. The only social life you could have is socializing with other predators. It's interesting to watch how she interacts with all the men in the story because she's she's like a different person with each individual person that she talks to. Yeah. On top of the fact that she seems... So this is a credit to her acting, right? Mm-hmm. Where she seems to be able to just flip that switch. Yeah, she seems to be able to take on a character really well. And I wonder if it's alluding to the fact that her parents basically treated her as the main yeah. character of their stories when they were growing up because they wrote a series of novels called Amazing Amy. Yeah, which is That crazy. were inspired by her life and in a lot of ways influenced her to do certain things as well. Well, it seemed like she was looking for some approval like from both her parents but also just from like the general public she didn't want to be seen as a bad person yeah and so she's kind of been taking on these characters her entire life to view as be viewed viewed (laughs) (laughs) to be viewed viewed as a normal upstanding successful influential person yeah because she she manages to convince pretty much everyone she comes in contact with with the exception of your main characters which is going to be her husband the sister and then the uh, lawyer who's like he knows he knows that she's lying oh yeah which is hilarious because he's just he's a seasoned lawyer so he knows when people are like actually committing crimes what's interesting too here is we have amy the epitome of a privileged white woman yeah and then we have the lawyer um tanner i think the lawyer's tanner name. bolt tanner bolt yeah 
who is a successful black man. It's an interesting comparison yeah, between the two. They didn't even two. think twice about it either. Mm-hmm. They just brought him in as a character and nobody says anything, but he is one of those like uh, flashy lawyers that everybody wants to hire because they know he's going to win. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of brought on as that character where you know he's yeah. going to help them out. And ha- you kind of have these two dichotomies of privilege in America. You have the yeah. privileged white woman and then yes. you have the black man who's pretty much at the opposite spectrum. Yeah. Opposite end. I mean, so he was the one helping out these people. And so this is something that I actually wanted to talk to you about is the main character was criticized pretty heavily in any criticisms and writings about the film because she's a privileged white woman. Mm-hmm. And most people say that the story wouldn't have worked if it was a woman of color and if she wasn't rich. This is true. So what do you think about, like, does she have, like, a good setup for this? Like, why do people believe her? Is this kind of like when a white woman gets hurt and everybody believes them? I mean, I think that's kind of what the point of this story was, is that they could literally get away with murder if they wanted to. We've seen this happen historically. Um, Like, think of Emmett Till. Yeah, exactly. Which I won't go into detail about that, but if you know, you know. Right. And that was based off of the word of one white woman against a little black boy. I mean, she basically does get away with murder yeah. later in the film, and no one really questions her. So this is kind of a delicate moment, though, because you've got this situation where, say somebody's been assaulted, you don't mm-hmm. want to question them too much, but you also do want to know the truth. Right. And there's no, you know, false accusations have happened as well, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you navigate that situation as, say, law enforcement? Or even as a nurse or a, a man talking to a woman who's just been assaulted. I know. It's it's a really difficult topic. And it makes me think of some of the thoughts I had while the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial were yeah, going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, as big of a shit show as that whole situation was, it brought up an interesting thought that here we have this woman who's been the leading voice of the Me Too movement for yes. some time came out with accusations against a man and everyone believed them as they should you know because in most cases right it has happened it has happened and they're not lying but in this case um evidence has shown that that was not the case with amber heard at all that she was in fact the abuser and had defamed someone aka johnny depp for that i mean and so but the the questions that are brought up is that kind of devalues then a lot of other cases of women accusing men of sexual assault oh yes If there's this one case now of a woman lying, now it kind of changes the status quo and people start to maybe question the victims more than they should. Yeah. And so it feels like almost taking steps backwards of everything the Me Too movement was trying to work towards, which is really sad and kind of ironic at the same time. That particular case was interesting because the media got us to care a lot about two rich people arguing with each other. Yeah. Two, Johnny Depp's not the best person definitely not. so like he's also friends of marilyn manson who's a known abuser yeah so like they somehow convinced everybody that johnny depp was like super innocent person who got like sure some things may have happened that way but i don't doubt that he was in some way responsible for some of the things that had happened oh yeah i think he just had a really good team with him when he was in the, in the oh he had a great team yeah. of lawyers and <laughs> Amber Heard's lawyers were like they were bought off of Wish. Oh, no offense. No, yeah. It was a it bad setup well all around, you know, but it's the same thing with this movie as well. Well, yeah. So one of the interesting things is that we don't really get to look at them in a courtroom because it kind of never gets to that point. It, it's really only dealing with the stuff that happens before, which is the investigation. And so he hires a lawyer kind of as a preconceived thing where he's like well i'm gonna eventually need you how do i handle that and the lawyer is actually good at handling how to deal with the media 
And so this is a huge thing in the movie is how they're dealing with media and how they appear to everybody. And so one of the biggest things I saw for the criticisms on the main character is that some people felt like she was simultaneously a misogynist and a misogynist. And they didn't know how to feel about her character because while she was taking advantage of a sexual assault situation, she was also feeding into this idea that women were somehow weak or that mm-hmm. they needed men in their lives to handle these things. Well, the thing is, is she's a psychopath. And <laughs> as a psychopath, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Yeah. Anyone who is not you is pretty much just a tool or a piece of meat at that point. What convinced you that she's a psychopath? Ah, uh, shit. I think it was the intense planning that, yeah. <laughs> that went behind framing her husband for her murder and escaping. I mean, who has time for that? She went so far as to write diary entries for quite a long time. Oh, so this was premeditated. That was like the cherry on top, too, where she's like, this man might kill me. Yeah. Is her last entry in her diary before she disappears. So convenient. What a great thing to show somebody who you think has killed her. And then he even says it, like you just said. Not only convenient. that, but she plants the mistress's panties in his office yeah. to make him look like he's an asshole and run up her own credit card with stuff that he supposedly bought, also yeah. to frame his frame him as being irresponsible somehow. It was a lot of planning that probably took months, if not years. I mean, who knows how long he was cheating on her? Because it seems like as soon as he started cheating is when she decided she was going to do something. Yeah, I think she just immediately knew that he was cheating and then wanted to like make him pay. Like this was a revenge thing. Mm -hmm. But also, I'm convinced that she's more of a sociopath than she is of anything else. Because she didn't seem to just kill people out of like random fits of aggression. She planned it really well in most cases. Well, I would say that a sociopath definitely wouldn't necessarily go around killing people, but neither would a psychopath. A psychopath would have calculated kills. Yeah. And at some point, you know, maybe we have instances like Hannibal where they go off the deep end and become a serial killer. But she wasn't a serial killer. Hannibal? But she, <laughs> she was a serial manipulator. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And would gladly kill someone if she knew she could get away with it so then do you feel like amy was kind of justified in her disappearance and doing what she did to her husband i mean so the guy cheated so we know for sure he cheated on her but like that's it okay on one hand part of me is like you go girl girl boss (laughs) like buck your mans he cheated on you buck his whole life up sis but on the other hand she did um you know want to send this man to jail and i can't really justify sending someone to jail without proper reason or justification he does at some point put his hands on her too that is true he has the potential to do something like this he has the potential to be dangerous may have done it before yes and that's where it gets tricky yeah so this is what's hard about liking the characters and wanting them to succeed in whatever part of the film and i think this is what's compelling about the narrative is that you're starting it off and you're very much cheering for her yeah. You're like, you you want the husband to go to jail for killing her. Oh, yeah. And then you find out she's faking it, and you're like, oh, I don't know how to feel about this. And then you find out that she's generally a bad person, going as far as spitting in the girl's drink when she decides well, she to... spit in the girl's drink. She also befriended someone in the neighborhood yeah. purely as an alibi. True. Which is pretty... That's hurtful. I mean, if somebody yeah, did that to true. me, I would be extremely hurt. <laughs> yeah. So their marriage is obviously fraught from the start. I'm convinced that they didn't really love each other. They might have just been staying together because of like parents wanting the the shared careers, the knowing, house. Knowing how she rolls, I had thought of this, is that she probably only married him because she saw him as easy to please. 
Yeah, you know what? That's interesting. Yeah, he might have really been the husband who like wasn't paying attention to her that much either. Because it seems to me that she utilizes relationships for some sort of benefit, as in she maintains a relationship with her one ex because he's wealthy, and that could come in handy in case she's ever in a tough situation, which she did make use of. And in this yeah. case, her husband was pretty docile, dumb, generally loved her still, and, you know, at least had enough money to take care of them. And so that was enough for her. You know, she's was like, yeah, really I could marry this guy. Mellow character for him mm -hmm. to play where he's just, he really is kind of submissive to her wants and needs in most cases. And then like, even when he, when she just shows up, back yeah. in the house like he can't escape that situation right and so she has like a reliable backup of sorts yeah. someone to, that she can rely on someone that can take care of her but that's purely what the relationship is to her i think is just a safety net i did like how parts of the film seem like they were fighting each other in different ways like it was a battle back and forth through the media on what they thought about each other and like they kept giving each other blows back and forth on like who was going to look better, who was going to look worse. Right. And it makes me wonder about some of these like televised cases, whether it is like uh, intense uh, murder trials or something like that between spouses or going back again to the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp case. Yeah, How exactly. there is constantly like new information being revealed to paint a picture of a certain party yeah and it's constantly playing the sides back and forth yeah. like who's better oh they just top them up by doing <laughs> this crazy awful thing i mean at this point we've kind of like we've we always sort of knew that the media was skewed but yeah. i think in recent days in our political climate we now know of course they're skewed and they're purposely done so because they're funded by however so like this is a huge thing that we're dealing with now which is the portrayal of media for certain people and then there's also the other sort of more i guess you could say conspiracy aspect is that when certain things are being pushed in the media they're usually to yeah. lower people's attention on other topics yeah th there's too many coincidences of news stories coming out about certain things happening while political events are happening while they're deciding on certain things or they get snuck under like what do we just have we had the overturning of roe v wade which also included things with school and religions and things like that that got slipped in there we also had the galane maxwell trials yeah. where she was sentenced to only 20 years yeah. which is a very minimal amount and nobody in my else opinion. got in trouble and no names have been released to the public and boy do we know that they were names there was a huge list of potential Literally names a book of people yeah and we haven't gotten any official names and so you yeah. know but that was something that kind of got swept under the rug until the last minute it wasn't really until the sentencing that we heard about that trial again yeah and that's been going on for the last couple of months now so this was also interesting to me because this also gives the impression of what most of the general public does which is they do want to sit and watch the news yeah and so you have people who go every night eat dinner sit down and watch the nightly news and this is how they consume their media. Right. And at a certain point, I feel like all of the news was just not getting the sort of views yeah. that they wanted. And so they started really pushing these awful news stories, yeah. which is interesting because we'll get into <laughs> yeah. Nightcrawler in a later episode where yes. we talk about this fact exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the, and the, so I don't want to say yeah. too much about that now. That's fair. A lot of it has to do, I think, with a lot of fear mongering of yes. what exactly it is that you're dealing with and how terrible something is going to be. And also using that fear mongering to pit people on a yeah. certain side, pit people against each other or yeah. with each other. I would say in this movie towards the end though, I didn't care for either one of them. 
<laughs> in fact i want it just people to get away from them like i'm like the lawyer needs to stop the detective needs to get away like they're gonna fucking get involved and somebody's gonna get killed um surprisingly you don't care for neil Patra- neil patrick harris's character well he's kind of a creepy controlling weirdo i mean it doesn't help that he's also like super rich too he's like yeah. one of those typical probably born into wealth snobby yeah. kids well he that wants is to so like, used to control getting... her life yeah he's so used to getting everything he wants and he wants to control every aspect of people's lives and uh you know i'm not saying that you should go around killing people but i was almost <laughs> happy when she did i was expecting it not in the bloody manner that it was carried out but i was expecting it i feel like that's one of those scenes that you just kind of don't forget about because it's like she she simulates a rape situation before he even gets there by like literally using an object to yeah, make it that seem was like pretty she's had wild. some trauma and so she puts twine around her wrists yeah which she had done like. prior with yeah. somebody the person who was um now on the sex offenders list and just engages in in sex with him to make sure that he comes inside of her and she has that proof and then slits his throat with a with a razor blade and what was crazy about this isn't that she killed him just like that it's that she continues and she stays there with all the blood on her and then finds her way back and they're just like what is yeah, going on yeah she drives her ass back home super dramatic like crashes into a mailbox makes sure all of the tv cameras yeah. that are outside of the house could see and i know she drove to the house on purpose cuz i feel like someone in that situation would just try to like go directly to the police yeah or fire department or some sort of officials uh, office it feels like her motives changed as she was going through the story, like I feel like when she started, she wanted to just escape and like disappear and she wasn't going to do anything. But then when she saw that people actually liked her husband was when she was yeah, like, no, fuck she this had guy. to make a grand return. <laughs> I think it was that motivated too by the fact that her ex is just creepy and controlling and she wouldn't want to have to deal with that. She knew she had to get rid of him somehow at right. some point. <laughs> I mean, I kind of felt like that was going to happen anyway. I just didn't think it was going to be her murdering him. I <laughs> thought she might have, she would poison his food and then disappear, like knock him out or I don't know, maybe even kill him from the poison. Yeah. But she slit his throat yeah. after sex too. Yeah, which is like, that's one <laughs> the of the disrespect. I mean, I feel like she kind of did this too as a sort of fuck you to her husband because he had cheated on her too. Yeah, so it was her way of getting even, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and that, you know, some, sometimes people have that sort of twisted uh, retaliation for something. It's like, well, I'm going to do the same thing, right. except it's going to be a little worse. Right. And in this case, she is able to murder someone in return. So so then I'm, I think what I wanted to ask, you know, what I was wondering is, did Nick actually care about her? And why did he go to the lengths that he did to clear his name and try to, like, make sure that people knew that he wasn't a bad guy. He seems like he was kind of hiding something maybe. Well, I think he is just a person that wants to be noticed and wants to be right. loved. He gives me big golden retriever energy. <laughs> and so, you know, one, he obviously wants to clear his name so he doesn't go to jail. But two, I think he also just wants to be loved and respected by the people in his town. He's a really yeah. simple guy with that, you know. They did really play his character up to be somebody that was trying really hard to be included and accepted by whatever community that he was in. Yeah, and I think 
his whole relationship with Amy was more of the fact that he just truly did admire her. But I think more than that, he was impressed by her. Yeah. She came from a wealthy family. She is pretty much a celebrity because she has a whole book series written about her. <laughs> um, she's obviously incredibly smart and, you know, charming and charismatic. And so who wouldn't want to be around someone like that and to admire someone like that yeah so this is something that i was looking at um for certain articles was that a lot of people did in fact like her character a lot because they felt like she had sort of taken control of what was happening in her life and changed a lot of things even if it was done in a violent manner and so this is often associated with how are people feeling in society particularly how are women feeling in societies where it's male dominated and you have to sort of do more than what you would normally be expected in certain positions. And for her character, she was very much trying to make her mark on everything. And so she was kind of a character you wanted to root for, but was just a terrible person. And so this is one of the criticisms that people were having is that certain people would watch and felt like they had taken things back, where they confirmed that myth that men always tell each other that women are just crazy and that they're going to do crazy stuff when it involves a relationship. And so I think this is something that really brought down the movie for some people because they were like, why did you even make something like this? If it's Gillian Flynn who wrote it and it's like, why is a woman writing a story like this? You know, the, especially one that involves somebody who's done something so crazy in her story. I think on one hand, it is just to show the potential of violence right. that women have. Cause there is, I do believe there is a myth that people believe that men are more capable of violence than women yeah. are. Women are just as capable of violence as men. Thing is, is they usually have the restraint and rationality not to choose violence in most situations. And that's to say most, though. It's not to say that they can't ever choose violence. And they do. And it's quite terrifying when a woman chooses violence. I, I love like it. Anytime I've seen a movie that involves a woman who has carefully planned whatever violence it is, it's always really extreme. And very decisive. Like, this yes. is going to be a thing. Like, the dude disappears. Like, that guy is fucking soil somewhere. <laughs> and they always do this type of story with thriller and horror type stories. Right. And so I want to believe that it was the author's intention to right. show that there is a lot of power behind a woman's yeah. determination and drive. And at the same time, I think it was sort of their way of cleaning up the fact that it was a woman carrying this out by making that character also extremely unlovable. Because yeah. regardless of who they were, well, I mean, they are lovable to a certain extent, but they're also just an awful person. Like, yeah. I do appreciate the commitment to make the character specifically one archetype. And in this case, she was ruthless on everything that she was yeah. doing. And she didn't let up even a little bit whenever she was talking to anybody the whole time through that I was watching it, I was convinced that everything she had done up to that point was planned with the rare exception when she gets robbed by those two people that she befriends. Um, but that's just literally because she didn't plan it well. And yeah. so you then have this moment where you're like, oh, that sucks. I think it was actually that she just got a little too careless. She yeah. was a little too excited that she had gotten away with everything that she did. And she was out mini golfing, mini golfing with these people from the trailer park <laughs> that she was living money. in drops money in front of them and of course they're gonna like start asking questions about who's this strange woman who just blew into town yeah. that has this bag full All of cash money, she even tells her she's like you're either running for something or you've done something terrible yeah she got careless but you know she had a backup plan even though she had lost all of her money she still had mr money bags that she could rely on and call on because he's a total simp 
Uh, yeah, he really was for the storyline and how he he basically just upends his life to come and do whatever he was doing with her. I know my man. <laughs> so so then I wanted to um, the I think one of the last things I wanted to talk about was that the film was criticized for its handling of rape and the myths that kind of come around that, such as you know Amy telling people and then everybody believing her or saying that somebody is falsely accusing someone of rape. And so the reason why this was relevant was because people felt like it was not an accurate representation of what people would say to somebody who was a victim. And in some cases, in most cases, people will be told, oh, no, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that serious. They didn't actually do that, particularly to women of color and not a white woman like we have in the narrative. And so I think this was a hard thing to navigate because for me, it felt unbelievable in a lot of moments because they were privileged, they were white. And they're dealing with rich families. And so I was like, eh, like, I feel like this isn't that believable at certain points. And they really took a lot of care to make this believable. Did it feel believable to you? Um, what the whole, like her coming back from just like the fact that everyone believed her about what had happened, about murdering people, about someone sexually assaulting her, knowing that she had not actually not been. Well, me, I, <sighs> I always question white women, <laughs> but I'm biased in that because I'm not a white woman. Also, I am a queer black woman, and so I have a certain outlook on things, and I'm generally, um, by ways of safety, not entirely trusting of what people say. Right. I don't take things for face value. I like to listen to what they have to say, of course, but also do my own research yeah. and my own deducing. Well, I think we've become... Um, really suspicious of a lot of information rightfully so because our generation has been fed quite a lot of bullshit from the media yeah and it seems to be in the last like five to ten years or so that there's been a rapid release of information that was once not necessarily popularized yeah things like um the fact that Martin Luther King was confirmed to have been assassinated by the U.S. <laughs> government yeah. not just some random lone wolf yeah, there's quite a lot of stuff. And it's like um, a lot of U.S. information in regards yeah. to media has either been classified, declassified, and then nobody talked about it. And so there's some interesting takes that are going on with those. Even now, after the Amber Heard trial is over, people are like pretty much vindicating Johnny Depp in a moment where they probably really shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Just because he has had a lot of stuff happen before. Not to say that I don't want to be have people held responsible for what they were doing, but like we're going to obviously see a shift with how people feel about Amber Heard and towards Johnny Depp. And so this matters a lot for the perception because this is what the film deals with. Right. Exactly. And they deal a lot with how they're viewing each other. And so how do you feel about the end? I mean, she gets away with it. Like she gets, she away, with gets everything. away with it and he stays with her and it's awful. But, you know, I think he was kind of put into a position where it was in his best interest to stay with her. I don't know. I feel like this is something that was one of the most unbelievable parts for me was that he would, in fact, stay. It seems unbelievable. But at the same time, given the wild circumstances he was put under, I would be terrified to leave someone like that. Because if they did all of that to leave me and then came back to me, I know they're going to stay. Right. I know for a fact that they need me, which is why they are here. But at the same time, they also need them not to, one, kill them or also try to blackmail them. Because he now knows that this woman is capable of some very detailed blackmail, as yeah. is also capable of murder. Well, her final like blow to him is when she's like, oh, I'm pregnant. 
with our kid. And yeah. he was like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like she could easily fuck his whole life up in any minute. And so it's in yeah. his best interest just to stay on her good side. I feel like I would just disappear like fucking out of country, like just wouldn't deal with that. If you could and if you wanted to just uproot your life. But he also <laughs> had a sister to think about. That's true. And they had yeah. a very strong relationship. I would say even stronger than him and his wife yeah. at a certain point. So then is the story truly over? I feel like this isn't even this is like a chapter of this crazy story. There could be like a, a hundred books written about this story <laughs> of her just getting into like unbelievable messes and right creating these crazy plots so no i wouldn't say it's over i feel like they def so this movie kind of has like a false ending like it has the return of of her character back to him and then you kind of think it's gonna end there but then there's like another 20 minutes yeah after that where it keeps going and you're like you're uncomfortable like you're uncomfortable while he's staying in the house and i think this was a really good interpretation of what it might be like to be in an abusive relationship with somebody yeah. where you're very nervous about them being around about what you do in front of them what you might say what they might do to you and so i think this is one of the one of the better parts of the film is that that section where they just make you nervous because you've seen what she can do yeah <laughs> and you're just like she's gonna murder him like in the house and get away with it but she doesn't because she wants to use him for whatever she even tells him like lines that he needs to say yeah. when he's in public. So it's like, it gets really, really controlling at some point, oh, but yeah. it seems to have flipped where like at the beginning, it may have been that she, he had a little more control over their lives where now she's like, I'm in control of everything that we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And so that's like kind of the end of it. And you're just like, Oh, there has to be more. But I think that's what makes it fucked up for the ending. <laughs> Cause you know, he's just going to live out his life like that. Yeah, pretty much. And so it's a really bleak ending. Poor for his guy. character. <laughs> eh. I mean, I guess in that way, he does get what he deserves because he was kind of an asshole, you know, yeah. like he was cheating on his wife. And yeah, definitely. Pretty much using her. And so now he's imprisoned by his wife for the rest of his life. I guess that's yeah. justifiable. For Ben Affleck, I think it was like a eh, performance for whatever he was doing because it didn't require too much from him. But yeah. for for his co-star for Rosamund Pike, whoo phenomenal this is like one of the better things that she's done and it's like crazy to see that it's like the woman who is in the invisible man yeah just the, like one of the performances of their career and i think she did get recognized for it a lot of nominations i don't think she won anything though mm -hmm. which is kind of whack but it was definitely something that impressed me watching it did you have any favorite scenes i was just about to ask you <laughs> um, given that do you have any favorite scenes of hers or just in the movie in general um, I think one of the scenes that is just wild to me and I remember watching and being like oh my god like she's, she's fucking crazy is when she is in her ex-boyfriend's house as soon as he leaves she looks where the cameras are at she dips her clothes in wine runs up ties something around her leg to make it look like she's just been raped and is in front of the camera making a scene so that she could prepare to murder him later. This like premeditation of murder and how calm she is about it is a really chilling piece that you can have in a film for her type of character. And I was convinced like watching it, you're like, she is this person and she's going to kill this man as soon as he comes back. And that's like probably one of the stronger moments for the film itself. Yeah, that part was gnarly. <laughs> Just it really goes to show the amount of pre-calculated. Yeah determination and I, yeah. I i don't know man she's on some other shit well i was convinced that she got off on it no i think so i think she one just liked the attention she was getting from everything but also knowing that she was able to pull off these stunts yeah. 
and calculate everything down to the fucking details. Well, it's like, like, it's like anybody details. who does something bad, illegal, or anything like that, you do it and you get away with it. It's always going to be a rush. Yeah, and I think that kind of plays into what my favorite scene was of hers mm-hmm. is when she's making her escape, Ooh, I guess. Yeah. She's driving down the freeway and I noticed next to her that she has a bunch of funky pens. Yeah. Like pens with fluffy things on them, pens with sparkles. You're talking about like her planner stuff? Yeah, but she has a ton of them and she's throwing them out on the highway. And so it makes me believe that she left a trail of silly pens showing exactly where she went. And so in a way, she's challenging whoever catches on to the case to come and find her. Well, she yeah, she did get very cocky. And she thought she was going to completely like just disappear and get away with her plan. Of course, she hit a hitch when she got robbed. But it just it goes to show the amount of like confidence and cockiness she has when it comes to her abilities. Yeah. The only other scene I can think of is the one we discussed, which is when she murders her ex-boyfriend, because that is a pretty violent scene that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, Especially because up to that point, this is just a very it's a thriller drama. And then boom, you're hit with murder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I know. Crazy. um, So, yeah. So that one's memorable. Yeah. I'm like, I'll be forgetting any of those. What's your rating for this movie then? Um, I feel like I want to rate it pretty highly, but not perfect. So I'm probably going to be like 8.5, 9. I, I was going to say 8.5 <laughs> also. Um, I'm really just knocking off that point and a half for the slow start. I mean, I oh, get gotcha. I get the intention behind the slow start. You know, you kind of ease into this idea of what's going to happen and then just get taken on a wild ride. But it was just, it was almost too slow for my taste and I was genuinely getting bored. And if I didn't know better... I would have stopped watching the movie. Yes. So this uh, kind of breaks the rule of capture your audience's attention in the first 10 minutes because the first 10 minutes are quite boring for what the story is going to be. Um, and, you know, given the book that it's based off of, the book spends quite a lot of time before you even see anything happen. And so I think this was an author writing a screenplay, trying to figure out pacing for a story along with a director who's very detail oriented. And so they, I, I agree. I think it should have been shorter. But I also couldn't shake the feeling that this was a movie that was made for middle-aged white women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along with the story that was created for it. The same with like Fifty Shades of Grey. We are like, this oh, is a particular God. audience in mind. Yeah. I mean, I think during that time, that audience was consuming quite a bit. It's middle-aged white women. <laughs> they were starting to move more into the um, social and media aspect, the streaming right. aspect, um, staying at home a little bit more. They had a little bit better finances at the time, and so they could afford to stay home in that way. But there's a lot. There's a few things, yeah, that were showing up. That was that's one of the main reasons why it's taking some points off. Also, believability for me, mm-hmm. believability for a good amount of the population that's not included in this movie. If you look around at all of the characters, the only person of color is going to be the lawyer. Outside of that, even side characters, you don't really see anybody else. They're all white. Yeah. It's because you're dealing with a rich family and their dealings with each other. And so it's kind of like, uh, it's it seems it's, like it's in its own little bubble. It's not only a rich family. It's a rich family in white suburban Missouri. Yeah. And Missouri is very, very white. That's not to say that there aren't black people in Missouri because <laughs> there are definitely black people in Missouri. But you also see communities are a lot more segregated in places like Missouri. Yeah. You see black people in the black community. You don't see them outside that often. Yeah. And don't I, I don't want people to misunderstand that I'm like, oh, if it's only white people and it's made by a white per- person, then I'm not going to like it. 
this particular story could have included quite a lot of different people mm -hmm. just on a production basis. That's true. And so this is something they decided not to do. And I'll always mention it for things like that. Yeah, because they don't necessarily yeah. stay in just one part of the right. city. You the know? story is good, though. Yeah. I think it's a compelling story and it's something that's interesting. But it it's hard for me to believe this would happen to anybody else besides that character. Yeah. And so that's why I would bring down the rating just a little bit. But I think the original story is really good. It's a nice thriller um, that definitely delivers on the genre archetypes and what you're expecting out of that. Um, even with like your sort of hard-boiled detective who's looking into it, who's really good. I think she's probably one of the better written detectives I've seen in anything. Definitely. <laughs> so it's like that kind of stuff I like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, so we're right about at the end yeah. <laughs> for it. So I think what I want to remind everybody is we're super easy to find. You can Google us. You can Google bringing down the grindhouse. We also have our link tree which is on all of our social medias. You can go to our Instagram. You can also go to our Twitter. We also have just recently made a, a TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> go look at our TikToks. We'll be including little sound bites mm -hmm. of our upcoming and past episodes and maybe a little something here and there, show a little BTS of what yeah. goes down in our studio apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, apartment studio. <laughs> we, AKA like our living room. Yeah. <laughs> we just happen to be able to get a nice setup. We've got mm -hmm. um, we've got our merchandise, so you can go and look at the Teespring, which is linked in our link tree. Yes, and everything that you put towards this podcast is used to our benefit to support us. Yes, to really help it. grow this podcast, and we really appreciate all of the people who have um, subscribed to our Patreon. Yep. who have bought our merch, who've just subscribed, said hi. If you're on things like Spotify, if you're on things like Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, make sure you follow us. Um, subscribe if you're on YouTube. TikTok, yeah. make sure you follow. Make sure you like everything. Leave a comment. We love answering the comments. Yes. And if you can, leave a review. These things mm -hmm. always help us be viewed on the sites. And occasionally, you can also catch us on Twitch. We will occasionally yes. be streaming our podcast recordings. And you might catch some of us streaming video this games every now and then. a great way to either see us playing video games or to get a sneak peek at one of the episodes, which will be later released. Yeah, so all of our recordings are usually done at least a week, if not longer, in advance. And if you catch our stream as it's happening, you'll be able to listen to an unedited, raw episode of Bringing Down the Thing of House. Yep. And that's about it. The last yeah. thing I'd say is join the Patreon one price two dollars a month <laughs> and you'll be able to support the podcast and use this money directly for maintaining the podcast whether that's something um, we have to pay monthly for our services or if it's going to be um, helping out one of the cast members get over to us whether that be in yeah. gas money or something that we're able to use towards building the podcast and making it better for you guys and if you want to get to know us all a little bit more personally join our discord yes. we're very active on there we have a lot of different discussions going on Sometimes we stream the movies that we're going to be reviewing. Sometimes we just hop on the chat while we're playing games. Yeah. Um, good way to keep up to date with everything we have going on. All announcements that we release on our social media are first put onto our Discord. So yeah, just a good way to keep up to date with us and right. hang out. And again, you can find us by looking up Bringing Down the Grindhouse. It's B-D-T-G-H underscore podcast on Instagram as well as Twitter. And so you can find us on both of those. You can find the link tree in there every one of these pages that we just told you about. Yeah. And that's well, about it. Thank you for listening. Um, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you. <laughs>